welcome. That was amazing. Hi, everyone. I'm Emma. Thank you so much for coming this evening. I've had a bit of a life-changing week in New York, and I do these shows a lot in London, but this is kind of another level. So thank you, WNYC, for having me in this green space, amazingly organized um, setup. So I'm going to do my little intro now. So I just wanted to tell you a little bit about my show. So three years ago, I wrote a book called Control, Alt, Delete. I turned it into a podcast, very much a side hustle. And then three years later, here I am with incredible guests. So thank you so much for coming out tonight. So um, I talk a lot about multi-hyphenate working and how we all do a lot now and the traditional job is massively changing. And when I thought of a guest and the amazing team here and Clemmy, thank you, we were thinking who to interview because this is a podcast. We want to talk about the way the world is changing. I want to talk a bit about feminism and social media and creativity and just kind of get a bit inspired. So I couldn't think of a better person than Armina Tuso co-host of Call Your Girlfriend, one of my favourite podcasts ever. Such an iconic person. I'm going to introduce her in now, like a chat show. Come in. (laughs) 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 Good. So, have you noticed I've picked Robin? You know, this is a good Robin song. She's on tour, so I thought you'd be angry if I picked Call Your Girlfriend because she'd be like, you're not doing our podcast. Like, we do our podcast. You know, it's okay. The song belongs to everybody, so it's fine. fine. (laughs) Even though we had to use a strange remix so we wouldn't get sued. But um, anyway, so talking of multi-hyphen vibes, so you're a strategist, you're a writer, you're a podcast host, you're everything. You're an icon to many. Listen, You're I'm, my personal hero. I, <laughs> I could go a, on. I just have a lot of bills to pay, so I have to do that however it works out for me. <laughs> but you, you enjoy working that way? I do. You know, it's been... Um, it's interesting working freelance and then working for myself and then have, like incorporating my own business has been... It's been such a journey <laughs> where I never thought this is where it would take me, but it's... Uh, it feels really rewarding to be able to make a living mm-hmm. doing all the weird stuff I want to do and being driven by my own curiosity. So I totally. am really thankful for that. I'm going to ask you some questions about that as well, because the recent episode of Boss Ladies, I think it is, on Call Your Girlfriend. Yes. You guys are really honest, and I think a lot of people swerve around things, but you you spoke numbers, like you really shared a lot. So it was really good. I mean, I think that a value that... Um, we have in in our business, like the business of Call Your Girlfriend, which is run by um, you know me and Ann Friedman and Gina Delvac, is like transparency is really key because uh, we're not doing anything new. People are talking about all the things that we talk about. People are talking about. We're not we are not reinventing the wheel here. Um, women's issues, uh, a new thing. <laughs> but I think that a thing that has always been really frustrating to me and it's frustrating to a lot of people is that. Nobody ever wants to talk in specifics. And so if you don't really get specific, then there's nothing that we can, you know, there's not really a stick that you can measure by. Mm -hmm. You don't know if progress is happening. But also it's exhausting. It is exhausting to feel that everybody is comparing themselves to each other, but you don't actually know what it is that you're comparing. And, uh, you know, and I think that like part of running a business as as women is that we have been really lucky um, that some people have, you know, people have been transparent with us and has helped us grow our venture. And so I think that 
even giving that back in small parts just it uh you know it lets you see the matrix in full yes. and uh and you start talking in specifics so that's and important. it inspires other people to then talk in specifics and it's I like mean, it's like when you see when you're at a dinner party and one person sh- is open and shares and says a secret or, or a thing they're embarrassed about it's like a domino effect and everyone starts sharing i mean i think that especially if you think about you know things that affect marginalized people um, a lot of it is just shrouded in secrecy. So people will say like, oh, like I'm not getting paid my worth or there is a gender pay gap or whatever. Um, that's like all well and good, but I need to know what that actually means. And I think that so many people also just carry a lot of a lot of shame about things that they think other people have figured out. And the truth is that like nobody knows anything. There's just like, there are six competent people at all times in the world. <laughs> Everybody else is faking it. And so, you know, and I, I don't know, I'm a big proponent of that. I think the only thing we can give each other is information. So mm-hmm. let's just share it. Yes, and actually one of my questions was, because um, you guys uh, discussed on your podcast recently scams. And this was when like Fire Festival, the documentaries came out and all sorts of scams were going on. Like, do you think we're in scam era or do you think we've always been scammed? No, I think we've always, like, scams have been around forever. I think that technology makes it so that we can talk about them together. But, you know, I'm like, patriarchy is a scam. Uh, Whiteness is a scam. (laughs) So it's just, you know, I think that we definitely have an appetite for talking about the charlatans among us. But I, I, none of this is new, you know, like, none of it is new. I think that people are doing it in different ways. And, uh, you know, one really good way to be a scammer is to not be specific about what you do or who you are <laughs> and just talk in these very vague kind of terms. And so it's easy to see how, you know, like an incompetent person who is enlisting Ja Rule to do a music festival can be seen as a mogul if we're not actually talking about real things, you know? And so, I don't know. Yeah. I just, I like, I'm obviously fascinated by it, but I think that part of it is really that... Um, there's so much that so many people just do not know things and everybody lies about being an expert. This is like a thing that you will see it in your personal life. You see it at work all the time. And I'm just a big proponent of saying like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I have found that that has gotten me like much further <laughs> than pretending that I know what I'm doing. Mm. Yeah, I remember once um, looking for research for my book around experts online. And I think if you type in guru to LinkedIn, you get millions of results like everyone's a guru i mean it's yeah everyone's a guru everyone's a coach that's my favorite thing right now everybody is a coach and i was like well you like you and all these people will have like tiny followings which always makes me laugh i was like what can you teach me (laughs) like you haven't you haven't done any of the things that i've done but somehow somebody has anointed you a coach of somebody else's life and so I don't know. It's all uh, it's all very mysterious and weird. Yeah. But you know, I think we should just you should start trusting yourself more and trusting other people less. Totally. <laughs> so. Well, talking of podcasting, so you started Call Your Girlfriend five years ago. That's um, that makes you an OG, really, 100%. of podcasting. I feel like we're in a time where, um, and I'm kind of trolling myself by saying this, but everyone has a podcast, and uh, more men than women because they have no confidence issues clearly by picking up a microphone and just being like I'm interesting and I I think it's interesting how it's like breathing air now like everyone has one but how do you stand out then because you you really do with yours like it's not going anywhere I mean I 
Sure. <laughs> if you say so. You know, I, um, so the podcast has been around five years. Uh, it'll be five years this May, which feels so long and also not long at all. If you measure it in episodes, it actually doesn't seem that long. Um, and part of the legend of Call Your Girlfriend is so... Um, the way that we all remember it, Gina Delvac, who's our producer, like made everything happen. I'm like, I don't know how you go from talking into a thing and then it like it becomes sound. Like I don't understand that. <laughs> and I'm not trying to understand that. That's not my area of expertise. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, but part of it too is that even five years ago, uh, all of the people that we knew that had podcasts were like comedy bros. And I remember one of them telling me that, you know, like women can't podcast. Like it's a thing that only like dudes can do and I was like well you seem not smart if you can do it how hard can it be uh turns out it's not that hard but you do you do have to do it fairly consistently you know and we like we've been pretty honest too about the fact that um if we had set out five years ago if we had set out and said like oh we want to make a really popular podcast probably that would not have gone very well for us um what we did is tell each other that we wanted to learn how to tell stories and audio and we really just wanted to work together which um to me, like that's still the joy of the show is that I get to work with like two women that I love who are also my friends and I just, I love their brains and it's the best, it's truly the best part of the day. And, uh, you know, and I think that the, the other truth is that we were just early to this medium. If we were to launch our show today, it would probably not be called Call Your Girlfriend. It would probably not be the chatty format that we have. It would. That's just, that is not what it would be. But it was, it's also true that when people started paying attention, um, you know, after Adnan went to jail, uh, people, uh, we just, we had a back catalog. And so it was just this truth of like, we were early to a medium that a lot of people, you know, came to. That happened with blogs. It happened with, you know, I'm sure it happened with like hieroglyphics somewhere. Like people just, <laughs> you just like do a thing and you're consistent and you stick with it. And, you know, we didn't monetize the show, I would say for the first two years. It was just a thing that we showed up every week. We were not very good at it. It literally sounds like we were in a tin can somewhere. <laughs> um, you know, like underwater. Yeah, I look back at my first few episodes and I'm like, wow, that is a Skype call that barely made it. I know, but you know the thing about it that's really cool? It's that I'm just like really proud that we kept doing it. It was not good. <laughs> and we kept doing it. And I, you know, I just, I, and I'm somebody who's also like very susceptible to this, like wanting everything to be perfect and everything has to be super polished or whatever. Um, I'm really happy that I don't do you know, like not gonna shade anybody here, like an overproduced <laughs> radio show. And I think that that is part of the charm and of the success of what we do. And I'm glad that it worked out. Yeah, and it grew so organically and mm -hmm. over time. So you work with one of your really close friends. So I wanted to ask you about that because I am in awe actually of how much you guys love working together and how you have a business together and you can still be friends. I've made the mistake of partnering with friends in a business context and it just like going horribly wrong huh. and I wondered do you have any advice for anyone that might go into business with their friend oh man that's such a tough one I I am truly like I love working with my friends I when I had roommates I loved living with friends I just for my own personality I find that if I already like you and your friends I will be my best self if you are a stranger, I will probably be a monster. And so that's just that's just how I stay on the level of how I do things. So, you know, it's just... Good to know. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm like, I'm never going to disappoint these women. I love them too much. 
But I do think that, you know, like that thing that I said earlier about when we set out to do our show, we didn't set out to do a business venture. And so that was also, I think that that's a story that's not everybody's story. You know, it wasn't like we looked at each other and we're like, you, you, like, let's uh, get business married. (laughs) Um, And I think what it really was is we were like, we wanted to work together. We wanted to learn from each other's skills. And a thing that Gina always says that is true is that we were in high school, we were the three people who we always did the group project for everyone. And so we found each other. So it just means that like shit will always get done. Um, But you know, in terms of working with your friends, I think that a place that I see it fall apart a lot is that people are just not honest about what they actually want, you know? And you don't have a real, it's like entering any kind of relationships. You have to define your relationship, you have to have boundaries, you have to have rules and you need to really learn how each other work. And your work relationship is is one aspect of it and your friendship is another aspect of it. And you need to be really aware of how those two things interact. Ann and I had been friends, you know, like we had been friends for a long time. We had had all these like kind of smaller collaborations. We knew how the other person worked. There, you know, I was like, she's, she's not gonna run away with our bank account or whatever. <laughs> like Gina, somebody who like I, I have only ever seen her be like at the top of her game. And so I think that that is, that's something that's very helpful. But it's also, I think that, you know, if you're feeling about like going to work with a friend is I'm not gonna accomplish my goals unless I do it with these people, you are setting yourself up to fail because you're already putting too much pressure mm-hmm. on the relationship. And also like some relationships like truly cannot handle a work component and that's okay. It doesn't mean that you know, it's not going to work out. You just have to decide, like, what the tension and the stressor is. And I, you know, and I keep saying truly that, like, for us, it was, it happened very organically. Like, I do not know, or actually, I do know, if Anna and Gina come to me and they had said, do you want to start a business with us? I would say, absolutely not. Like, I, <laughs> I'm not, I don't like admin. I don't, like, I'm afraid of the IRS. I don't want to deal with <laughs> the, the, the admin part of, like, running a business is truly, like, want to scream. And, you know, but I, I think that over the years, we, we've seen what, the, what everybody is capable of doing. It's really, I think that's cool about working on a three-person team is that there is always something for somebody else to pick up. Like, if you're like, I don't, like, I do not like to do a lot of this admin stuff. And that's usually stuff I don't get saddled with, you know? Yeah. And so there's, somebody is always picking up a ball. Somebody always wants to learn something. And everybody is really generous. But... I do, I think that that is a, you know, it's on a case-by-case basis. Mm-hmm. It's definitely, like, very personality-driven. And and truly, like, any kind of relationship, you have to be really honest about what it is that you want out of it. Because, you know, if you, if if the fear is that, like, you can't do something by yourself and that you need other people to do it and that your friends are conveniently there and they will help you achieve these, like, nebulous mm-hmm. goals that you have, nobody is going to be happy. Yes. So it's like you're both independent in your own mm-hmm. right doing your stuff but you can celebrate your differences and kind of work together in that way yeah it's so good I love I mean from listening to the to the show I find that you're both very analytical and you're both you, you know you not cynical but like you'll look at something and at first you'll dissect it instead of just like getting carried away with it and I think that's such a good thing especially in this culture of being scammed I think we all need a bit more of that I mean, you know, I like everybody should be a critical thinker and a critical reader. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think that part of I see a lot of podcasts that are like this. I would say like our show is part of this. Any show that like deals with politics, like most of the gab festy, like 
like, you know, like men save us, like whatever thing. Um, people, people really want to listen to other people to form their opinions. And that's just not who I am. Like that is not, that is not how I learned to read. That is not a thing that makes me feel better. It's not, um, I just don't think that it's a good bet in general. And so, you know, and, and the thing that we, you know, like we're feminists, <laughs> so we, uh, critical consciousness is very important to us. And I think that like people learning to think for themselves and having, um, you know, really having an understanding of how media is made or how opinions are formed or how content is made is something that like they should probably teach that in school. I, I was a marketer for a long time. I was the person who made the content. Like I was the scammer, you know, for a long time. So... <laughs> I think that that's also like what is going on in our show is that Anne is a journalist. I'm somebody who has worked in media for a long time. So even back to your question of, you know, like earlier, like, oh, it was this organic thing. The truth is that even when our show was very small and there were 10 people listening to it, it was the 10 right people. Like we were, you know, like we were part of an ecosystem where like people make things and people promote each other's things. Mm -hmm. And it's really important for me to say that um, because there is a professional kind of privilege that comes with a lot of that and a lot of people just like don't acknowledge it so for the people you know who are like oh i want to start a show like why is it not happening i'm like well like let me tell you about how networking works you know and and all of this but anyway going back to that analytical part i think that it's also true that um you know the things that young women care about are not frivolous and women are actually like very strong critical thinkers we just uh the, that's not the narrative that the world will tell you because we talk like this and we say like a lot and we, you know, like... The amount like, of iTunes comments. The, people are like, people are like, oh, I love your show, but the likes. I don't know. My parents paid a lot of money for me to talk like this. I like <laughs> learn English when I was 15, 16. This is a, like, I don't know how to tell you this. I am, this is like dog whistling to my people. So <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, this is a, you know, it's not an affectation, but I do, yeah. you know, that... That thing that you're talking about is actually like really important. There's so many forces that conspire to tell women to just shut up all of the time. It's the timbre of your voice. It's how you talk. It's there's always like a thing. And I'm like, is it that women are dumb when they talk or is it that people just don't want to listen to women, you know? And and so I think that we give a lot of space to talk about things that are on the high and low end and just remind everyone that, you know, like critical thinking is like lit so you should probably get into it <laughs> well now on a t-shirt immediately it's in, it's so true because i know with um radio in the past it, it would all there would always be a man after the ad break or it would always lead in with mm -hmm. an authoritative voice and that was always thought of as this masculine voice that didn't say like and didn't sound slightly high-pitched and I feel like I mean there's a study that says and I don't know if this is in the UK but 13% of all podcasts are hosted by women so it might just be that people aren't listening to it enough still even now which is crazy I mean it, yeah people are not listening to enough but are people even listening to the ones that are there you know I think that that's the thing that society should interrogate mm. um men say like and what I please I have it on good authority that men who do podcasts here get their like pauses and ums and ums edited out so that's not a you know um women women don't have like a pre peculiar style of speaking that is that's a turn off um, it's funny because I did a tv thing recently um on the bbc that was like the first time I'd had a lot of people watching me speak and I got so many emails from men and women but just 
saying things like, well done, hardly any ums. <laughs> it was like, okay, thanks, random stranger. I mean, listen, I, I do think that, you know, being on the radio and being on a podcast are completely different. If I wanted to do, you know, like every black person has a LinkedIn voice that they use. If I wanted to use my NPR, like best voice, go on radio, like I can do that. I am unfortunately sitting at home in a cafe and probably, uh, you know, like about to get high. Very happy. I'm very happy with how my show is made. And so I don't I don't need to do that thing. If that's a thing that you want, you should go I for it. I prefer that vibe. Yeah, you know, it's Definitely. like you should go for it. But I, I don't know. It's like it just it drives me up the wall because what somebody explained vocal fry to me. I was like, like, truly explain it to me. Like, what does it sound like? Tell me. And the explanation that they gave me, I was like, yes, that sounds exactly like Ira Glass. Like, you're absolutely right. <laughs> King of vocal fry. And somehow that's not part of his, you know, that's not part of his radio journey. So um, for people listening that don't know what vocal fry is, what is the definition of? I'm, I'm telling you, listen to Ira Glass. Whatever it is that he's doing, <laughs> that's what vocal fry is. I've been told. I just think it does not exist. And so, um, you know, there's there's obviously like a lot of, of sexism at play with how we we hear women, and um, that's fine. I think some of us are sidestepping it all together and starting our own ventures and doing things. And you know, yeah. I for all for as many people who write in to tell me that they hate how I speak, I was like, I can't hear you over the sound of these advertising CPMs. Like, what are you saying? <laughs> so you know, that's just yes. not a. I know. I think that sometimes it's not a. Like, there are enough people that do like it. So. Exactly. And I think as well with the public speaking world, there's a lot of books that are coming out. Um, I don't know if it's just in the UK, but around there are many different types to be a public speaker. It's not just the TED Talk formula that is suited and booted with your clicker, taking a sip of water on the beat. <laughs> like we, you, can be, you can be different and you can be yourself. I mean, yeah, but that's, you know, it's the same way that all the leadership that we praise or the, you know, whatever the, the style of like strong speaker or leader is always a white man. And it's like, that's not lost on me. But I'm also like, that's not what I'm trying to do with my life. So good luck to those people. And uh you know, like you, you hear, you hear it all the time. Like, is there room on the radio for, you know, like for black people to speak in the way that they want to speak or other people of color for women? And, you know, like I, that's not a problem that I'm trying to solve. All I know is that I have a platform where I can, I like, I am doing the thing that people tell you you're not supposed to do and it's working out just fine. So, <laughs> yes, the power of podcasting for that reason as well. No one can get in your way. With the, um, with the fact that you are very analytical and you and Anne do talk a lot about things, like you look outside the box a lot, do you think that the future-proofing yourself conversation, so looking ahead, spotting the trends, is podcasting in, you know, is journalism dying? Like all of these questions, do you think that ties into having that critical mind? Like we all need to be tapped into that a bit more. I just, these problems have been around for a long time. And I think that a lot of times also they're just excuses to not let other people at the table. And, mm -hmm. you know, and that's just, that's just bullshit. And so, uh, you know, I, I don't have too much anxiety about it. But I do, you know, again, I, I think that it is important to say that we are feminists. You know, like we, uh, we are people that look, we look at the world through a different kind of lens. We are... Um, and there are a lot of people who do this. So I think that when you think about people who have any kind of critical consciousness, again, 
they're people who've been interrogating the way that the world is made, right? And so I think that we're living in a moment, particularly right now, where you were seeing like every institution fail you, every white man that you thought that was like safe and like on top of his job and doing things. I'm like, no, nobody is doing anything. They're all like harassing people or just like bad at everything. And it just, I think that that for me has actually been a little, um, it's been a little freeing because it means that the, the, just the ways that we are taught to trust people or to believe in a certain kind of authority and all of that, I'm like, it's just built on a model that I never fit into. And so I don't have a ton of, you know, like, I just don't have a lot of anxiety about it. I'm a black woman. A lot of people told me that I would not be anything. I was like, well, that's, you know, there's there's a part of it that's like, well, you know, like, that really sucks. And then there's another part of it that's like, oh, yeah, great. Like, I can have a different kind of imagination for what my life and my world can be. And, uh, you know, I think that if you are somebody who is playing the long game, uh, betting on yourself is like, that's probably what you should be doing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Backstage, it was interesting, though, that we were really excited about tonight. And there's a level of, this is going to be great and we can't wait. But we were both talking a little bit about imposter syndrome. And it's such an interesting one because you can feel both those things. You can feel empowered doing your own thing and fully confident in what you're saying. But you, on the flip side, is it always there lurking? I mean, I my feelings about imposter syndrome are, <laughs> they're... they're it's, it's a little wild, but hang in there with me. I think that a little bit of imposter syndrome is actually very good for you, um, especially for young people. Like, young people are fucking idiots. Like, you should you should just know that. You should know that, like, you don't know anything. You're probably going to break things. There is no reason for somebody to trust you when you're 25. You're literally an idiot. And... Um, and you just you need to be you need to be humble to that just because we live in this culture that tells everybody that you're supposed to be a 30 under 30 like a 5 under 5 or whatever and it's like no you like truly you truly know nothing you know zero things and nobody should trust you and you know but I do think that imposter syndrome also should not paralyze you and uh, and there is also a very um, racialized lens through which we talk about imposter syndrome I, you know, when I say when I say that I feel a little bit of imposter syndrome, it's that thing. I'm like, I want to do the best that I can do. I, um, and also I think that it's like good to question your place all of the time whenever you are doing things that are public facing a lot. You know, it's like, how much like am I the right person to say this? Should I do this? Is it is it a thing that is like worth talking about? I think that if you're a, some sort of public person and you don't ask yourself that every day, you're probably some sort of monster. Um, yeah, so I think someone that, without it is slightly dead behind the eyes. So I think that that's good. But I also think that, you know, there is just a way also that a lot of women talk in this very self-deprecating way about, you know, like, their imposters are never going to accomplish anything or whatever. I'm like, that's not me. Like, I'm on a rocket ship. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and there's a lot of studies actually that bear this out. When you look at, um, I think it was in the Harvard Business Review, like studies about, um, like, ambition by race. If so, if you know, it's like I think the study was like going to a corporation and asking people like, who here is ambitious? Like, i.e., who wants to be a manager? Who wants to do more? Do you think you can do it? White women are always like, I don't know, like imposter syndrome, and black women are like, yes, please, like I want to do this. And so I think that it's like worth it's worth like remembering that the obstacles are different, even if sometimes the feeling is the same. Mm -hmm. And I think that particularly for people of color and especially for black people part of the imposter syndrome is truly because the people are telling you that you don't belong here or you know there's never been a model for 
for um, for the thing that you are trying to do. Whereas, you know, I would say that that presents differently um, for, um, you know, for women who are white, for example, and for all sorts of minorities. And so I think that it's just, when we talk about imposter syndrome, we're not always talking about the same thing. And I, you know, and also, but also at the same time, like, look at who is president. Like that has cured my imposter syndrome. You know, I'm like this, if, the people who are running the country, if they can do that, I'm, you know, the small goals that I have, I'm pretty sure I can accomplish them. Like, it's fine. So it's good to have some perspective in life also and just not be paralyzed by the things that you can't do. Yes, 100%. But it's, a, yeah, exactly. Exactly that. Um, Those are my wild thoughts about imposter syndrome. No, I, I, I totally agree. And also, I, I know Michelle Obama, when she went on that tour, like the one headline that just seemed to keep coming back up was that she has imposter syndrome and it's interesting that someone as powerful as her still feels that way i know but don't you feel that in your own life that it's very weird that you get to have this job or like talk to you know what i mean like i think it gets worse as you get more successful (laughs) because you're there's more to be an imposter about right so like so it's probably good that we're we think about you know i was like people are like people used to just work in factories alone like that's all people did we get to not do that so i think about that all the time (laughs) i think about that i i feel that this kind of um busy culture of like oh i've got so much on and like so much there's so much labor to do and it's if you think of the people before you who actually like dug things into the ground or spent hours making things um yeah, we've got it pretty good. Right, like, I don't know what I would have done. Like, i not be a good coal miner, would not be a good, like, whatever, you know. Yeah, also, like, black people, we can't play the time machine game because it gets bleak very fast. But all of that, I'm just like, I just don't know what else I would have been good at. And so I think that it's just, it's worth having a little bit of perspective sometimes. Like, we get to talk in microphones and, you know, yes. hang out with people that we want to hang out with. Everything is going to be fine. Exactly. Is there a conversation over here as much about the millennial snowflake thing? In the UK, a man called Piers Morgan shout out if you're watching um he he thinks that you know millennials are like very very fragile and we cannot do anything and everything's so much hard work but i don't know i i don't necessarily agree with that you people send us your worst people here to do media work and pierce morgan is one of them Um, i'm so sorry so just that he doesn't go here and he has a lot to say about our politics but anyway that's its own thing i have pierce morgan feelings like that's a whole other podcast but you know i think that the millennial snowflake thing is um this um this really wonderful writer at buzzfeed actually Anne helen peterson wrote this great piece about um millennial burnout recently that I would encourage everybody to read. And, you know, and I I love so much that she just, she put it in context. Like, it's not new for older people to tell younger people that they're lazy or whatever. You know, like, that's fine. Uh, that's, not a, that's not a thing that rattles me. But I do get very upset when, um, you know, it's not from a place of actual intellectual honesty, right? So is it that, like, millennials are snowflakes or is it that we were thrown into the fire of the worst economy this country has had in a long time that, you know, I'm sure, you know, I hear you people have your own problems over there. And, uh, you know, is it that or that we were also sold this bill of goods of the fact that we had to work, if we worked really hard, everything would pan out. And so when I look at my friends here who 
work incredibly hard, are saddled with so much student debt that, you know, it almost doesn't matter how hard they work, that we are living in this like super uncertain political time. The economy is like about to be in shambles at any moment again. And, you know, the the dream of of home ownership is literally just that, like a dream. And we we are really we are we're just we're people who were bamboozled by by our parents and by society at large, and that that's not a thing that we can have an honest conversation about. Really, really upsets me, because um, you know I I would not be doing this probably if I hadn't um, if I hadn't graduated into a time where there were no jobs, like there were truly there was nothing to do, and uh, and I think that that had it had like huge. Um, psychological repercussions for people. I also, another thing that annoys me is just the word millennial. People will be talking about millennials and I'm like, how old is that person? And they're like, they're 13. I was like, I don't need to hear this. So, also, millennials aren't young. Like, we're really yeah, millennials old aren't now. young. We're like, we're about, you know, it's like we're in Congress, we're about to be president. It's just the whole thing is here. It's not an awesome time, you know, to be living in the Western world. Like, things are literally falling apart. Yes. Yes, because people do say that it's not new. Like, the generational divides are always the same. People always think young people don't know anything, and people are always a bit annoyed about outdated, um, old-fashioned thoughts. But the generational divide is really strong in the workplace. It's strong because people don't quite understand where each person's coming from. I just see it a lot with older bosses who think they're millennial employees are talking too much about mental health or they're taking too many days off. Can you imagine talking too much about mental health? I know. (laughs) I think that part of it is honestly that we are the first generation that our, um, our bosses don't know how to do our jobs. And that is a thing that really stresses them out. <laughs> Instead of being really honest about that, about like the world has changed and we have to do these things that I refuse to learn or be flexible about. There is just, you know, there's a lot of friction there. I um, When I was a people manager, I actually like the first managing jobs that I had were always managing people that were older than me. And all of the complaints that people have about millennials at work, I was like, no, this is just how people feel about anybody they have to manage. Like, everybody's an asshole. It's fine. (laughs) Um, And nobody wants to do the thing that they want to do. But, you know, I think that uh, we, yeah, we we have a different kind of skill set. There is something new that is happening. Again, like, we're not working at a factory, so not everything is automated. And I think that that causes, like, a great amount of, anxiety at work and that said like I have had bosses who were amazing I think that the you know the generation like maybe it's a generational divide maybe it's something else I just think that having a little bit of more compassion for each other and just actually just being honest about the things that are not working it's that's probably a better way to frame this than just like this person is young and this person is old like well yeah that's not getting us anywhere exactly so with the mental health discussion, mm-hmm. because I did check whether you were happy to talk about it. I mean, yeah. we're in a time of being very open about all sorts of things, but I think it's really incredible how open you are about OCD on, and you talk about it on Call Your Girlfriend and you talk about all sorts of things. And you guys always open up about the highs and the lows and how you're managing things. And do you find that we are in a time where it just feels like a natural discussion now? Does it feel like an announcement every time someone mentions it or there's a community there to kind of help? 
Yeah, you know, I grew up in a home where we did not really talk about um, about mental health issues or anything like that. Like, <laughs> shout out African parents doing their best everywhere. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I didn't. I think I... You know, I just, I truly don't know. I never feel like I am announcing things when I tell people what what I'm dealing with. I'm just a very verbal processor. And if I say it out loud, it just does not have the same power that it does if I keep it to myself. And so on a very purely selfish level, that's how I process. I also just think that there is no shame. There is truly no shame in needing help. I need all the help that I can get. And sometimes that is medication. Sometimes it is asking for more time off. And the reason that I don't feel shame about it is because, you know, I'm like, I'm a very productive member of society. Like I am, I, you know, like, thank you to, thank you to great advances in medicine. I'm also a very anxious person. I, um, you know, I deal with depression. None of that feels, uh, None of that is my fault. And so I think that also just not internalizing it is fine. And I say this to people all the time. I was like, if your neurotransmitters are broken, store-bought is fine. It's truly just like take take all of the help that you can get. And, um, you know, and I think that I also know that I am in a position of, of privilege when I talk about this because, you know, who's going to fire me because I take Zoloft? Like, really? You know, like, that's that's not a... I was like, there, like my life is just out there in a way that I think um, is, like, I'm, I'm actually, like, really happy with because it's freeing. But I just really hope that a tiny bit of the work that I do just gives people permission to be themselves also. Um, you know, we we talked backstage a lot about like Instagram and comparison and and all these things. And I that's the thing that I'm always struck by whenever I hear people talk about you know like comparing themselves to X Y Z or whatever. Or if I hear somebody you know like try to speculate about my life, I'm like my life is a mess. <laughs> like it's truly it's a mess and it's fine. Um, and I just don't I I just refuse to stay. Um, to feel like I, I need to feel shame about things that so many people experience. You know, I just, mm-hmm. it just, it makes absolutely no sense. I think that if you are a person who struggles with mental illness and you are in a position that you can talk about it, you should absolutely talk about it because so many people carry shame about it. And also, um, you know, it just like, it helps erase the stigma. Like we're still, this whenever people are running for president, it's always a huge taboo if they take uh if they take any kind of drugs, right? And so, like, we've never had a president that's been, like, open about struggling with mental illness. I'm like, you have the worst job in the world. You're telling me you don't get a little bit depressed? Like, I don't believe that for one second. But there's just all of these ways that we expect people to be fully put together and to to present as strong all the time. And it's, honestly, it's it's complete bullshit. And there's absolutely no shame with taking care of yourself is absolutely not your fault, I, you know? And I think that the minute that I surrendered to that, it just, it made my life a lot easier. And, uh, you know, I'm like, I get to do everything I like to do and a little bit of depression, anxiety is part of that, it's fine. <laughs> mm, yes, yeah, I mean, it's incredible. Anytime anyone just like refuses to feel a certain way that someone's trying to put on them, it's like, no, you don't get to make me just immediately feel yeah. this way. Um, Because it was interesting what you were saying about how these parts of ourselves and and our anxiety, however that might uh, be, does play into how we use the internet. Like, of Mm -hmm. course it does. And I remember you saying that you 
prefer Instagram stories because then at least you know it's disappearing and just like all those little <laughs> things like our behaviors every single day we need to take care of ourselves yeah you know I mean as the the famous Japanese poet says if it doesn't spark joy just get rid of it uh <laughs> there is you know I it's it's just interesting I've worked in and around technology so much that I I think about this all the time is it, is it the technology that's making us bad is it or are we using the technology in a bad way and I think that all of these feelings that we have are just, they're very human instincts. Like people have dealt with envy and jealousy since the beginning of time. People have been anxious since the beginning of time. I just think that it it is presenting in this very different way. We also unfortunately are up against like platforms that weaponize every single feeling that we have. And uh, you know, and that's something that's like always worth remembering. It's like a lot of these tools are built to make you have a certain kind of reaction and to make you um, change your behavior in ways. And so, again, it's like you should probably read a little bit about that. Hmm. And, uh, you know, and life is just too short. It is it is too short to not be yourself every single day. I, I just I don't know how people do that. So um, that's just what, how I feel. Yeah. <laughs> Knowing what you know about tech. Do you think that makes it better or worse to just like go through life online? Because I, I remember when you were saying, you know, the close friends function of Instagram, like that's so nice. You can send things out to your close friends. How lovely. And actually, no, it's so Instagram can know who your close friends are so they can sell stuff to them. And I was thinking about even Uber or whatever app you might use to get around. Like they know exactly where you are at all times. Everything isn't just a useful tool for you. It's something that they are getting a lot from. I mean, if you're getting a technology service for free, <laughs> you're definitely on the menu. Somebody is like, somebody is paying for it. So that's just the thing that people should know. But also, you know, it's like some of these tools have made life easier and better. I, you know, I, I just, I think that it's, it's a little too simplistic to say that all of it is bad, mm-hmm. but all of it is having like very intensely bad uh, <laughs> um, consequences right now. And that's something that we should be thinking about in a, you know, in a way that is not on a personal responsibility way, but truly, like, I'm I'm appalled that, like, our legislators aren't doing anything about it. And all you're left with is feeling like shit that you're not, in, you know, at some sort of party that you saw on Instagram. But really, it's a little more nefarious than that. So I know. I had a feeling this year of, oh, my God, we're, we're in this year, and there are, people are only just cracking down on the advertising standards properly with influencers and mm-hmm. those horrible weight loss um, t- tummy teas or whatever they are only now like how long since instagram been around i know it hasn't always been selling ads but like that's a that's coming late to it i think oh yeah (laughs) i mean we could talk about this forever but as someone my question is as someone who does do some branded content in a really great way i mean you you have to be quite careful now don't you to to do things I mean, you have to just be a good person. I mean, I don't know that you have to be careful. You should probably not sell, like, laxative lollipops to children. That's not... That's, like, not a being... I'm, you know... I just... I always... Whenever I see a celebrity do, do those things, I was like, do they know something about the economy that I don't know? Like, why... Why are you selling your soul for the work? Like, are you... Why are you hoarding all this cash? Like, do I not know something? But it turns out, like, some people are just bad people. Um, but, yeah, you know, I think that a, a level of literacy usually around advertising is... Like, that makes me really sad that that's not something that we teach in schools or that people realize. But you... You know, there's... 
everything around us is branded and mm. it's like pretty bad. So. I loved your partnership with um the water brand. With Smart Water. Oh. I love it. Um I'm the, the new face of Smart like, Water. I've never <laughs> wanted to be more hydrated. I mean, listen, I'm just not precious about it. I think that, um, you know, I I get to do brand partnerships. I do them with brands that I actually like to work with. I was like, if I spend my money on something, I'm happy to do it. It 100% like pays bills. Everybody should, everybody should be so lucky to do it. But I think that I'm also not, um, you know, I'm not going to lie to you that like advertising is amazing. Absolutely not. Like <laughs> advertising is bad, but we also live in capitalist society. So, you yes. know, I like I'm not the per- like I'm not the only person who can address that. So again, like coming from a place of like not everything doesn't always have to be like a personal responsibility that you have, but really thinking about like what are the systems that we have in place to actually challenge a lot of capitalism is um, that's something I wish that we would have a more honest conversation about. Mm, I think that conversation is really going to come big time because the the kind of link between activism and capitalism, you know, activists should earn money. If they're doing great work, why not partner with, you know, I was on a panel recently and it was a, a lingerie company who was uh, doing a panel about body positivity and mm-hmm. I was moderating it. And one of the questions was, this isn't about body positivity if it's being paid for by this massive brand and it you know and how do you got how do you feel good about that and and actually someone answered you know no this is bringing this is bringing the conversation to a bigger platform but it's such a tricky one i you know i i don't know i just again i feel i I sound like a second wave like broken record i'm a feminist um and you know i just I don't believe that doing things in service of advertising is activism or that doing things in service of a brand is is feminism. You know, I was like, activism and feminism are, that's politics. You're actually doing something. Now, if you want to have a personal choice to wear like fancy lingerie, God bless, I will never... I will never begrudge anybody that it's actually like great for your self-esteem and all these other things. But I think that where people get into this really hairy positions is whenever they try to justify their choices. And um, feminism is not about choice. Activism is actually not about choice. It's not about uh, wearing the lipstick that you want or, you know, like wearing high heels or whatever. I was like, that's a personal choice and you you should defend that on your own. But um, activism is politics. And you have, you know, I'm not saying that you, that everybody can be so pure with their choices or whatever. What makes me really, what really annoys me is when people try to do the work backwards and they just try to justify a shitty personal choice that they have. I'm like, again, like I'm not precious about my choices. I live under capitalism. I do bad things every single day. We're drinking bottled water here. Like it's fine. Um, you know, but I think that like being honest about what it is that you're doing is really important. And so, you know, I think that it's, I love that we live in a time that people like can shamelessly call themselves activists because a lot of people died so that people could just like have that as a hashtag on their Instagram bio, you know? And I think that, you know, it's like, I, I can't imagine like people during civil rights or, you know, like the women who fought for suffrage, like thinking like, oh, one day this will be chic and in vogue. Can you, can you believe like, it? On a You'll get invited to like fancy parties for, you know, like doing, doing hashtag activism. But, you know, I think that, again, to me, it is it is about your politics and it is about like coming at it from a place of being um, 
being honest Mm -hmm. and a lot of times like people are not honest i'm like if you want to do a brand partnership and you want to call it body positivity that's great body positivity is not feminism it's not like it's it's, yeah i'm like what does that mean you know like Mm -hmm. words used to mean things (laughs) words don't mean (laughs) a lot of things anymore yeah so yeah oh thank you for that because you i just i i do learn a lot just from everything you say so yeah um thank you I have one last question and then we're going to open it out. So if you've got a question, now's the time to think about it. And we are live, which I forgot about actually. Oh my God. We're live. So keep it clean. Be nice (laughs) to us. Where do you think we are going to be in 10 years' time in the tech kind of? Because you know, people say, oh, we're going to look back and it's going to be like when people were smoking and it was so bad for us that we banned it. I know that's a really big question, but what do you think we should be prepared for? What a huge question. (laughs) Um, To not prep for that one. Um, you know, I'm not in the business of making uh, predictions. <laughs> just, truly, it's it's not a thing that excites me. It's not a thing that I think I can win at. Um, and again, I don't think that any of these, like none of this is new. Mm-hmm. I was watching this incredible clip where Prince at some award in like the early 90s were talking about how bad the internet would be one day. I'm like, this is amazing. Thank you. Um, you know. I think the place that I hope that we get to, which is not a prediction as much as it is a hope, is that I hope that we can take the internet back from the platforms that own it. And um, and I hope that we can teach this new crop of young people who are coming up to be more discerning about what it is that they're signing up for. And I hope that we can also get to a point where the people who represent us at like every echelon of politics actually understand how technology works. It really depresses me mm-hmm. that they're, you know, they're still trying to figure out how to like attach pictures to emails and the rest of us are like getting eaten by robots. And I just, I'm just like, I'm just ready to not have idiots like questioning people all the time and making, and making this, oh no, uh, these gone. regulations. Yes, so, yeah. yes. Thank you. So that's the terrible such, answer. No, that's yeah. such a good response. Thank you so much.